Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with Laurent Cortines. It is Monday, January 2nd in this episode. Arsenal are seven points clear. City look worse because of Harlan. And Spurs finally can't bail themselves out. But first... The Christmas period is coming thick and fast. I'm going to talk about the results that have just happened. And I want to really take time to discuss Arsenal. I believe that they are locked in to win the title. And anything less than winning the title for Arsenal would be a complete bottle and choke job. But first, we're going to do the quickest 30 seconds in sports. Well, more like three minutes. The scores for the Premier League. For the match week that just passed, which I believe was 16 or 17, depending on your team. It started on Saturday, the early game. Manchester United won, nil. Manchester United won, Wolves nil. Uh, a, a goal by Rashford puts Manchester United's winning streak on six. Uh, they've played well since they only lost one game since they uh, defeated, since they lost to the City. The goal came late. Rashford had been disciplined. He's overslept. And we saw Ten Hag really show the team that there's discipline. Rashford came on. He was the difference maker in this one. A give and go. He kind of had been floating in and out of the game for the first 25 minutes since he came on at the half. And then really explodes on a really nice goal uh, from, from Bruno Fernandes. You know, generally since whenever Ronaldo's not been in the team, Bruno Fernandes has actually been the player who's been sticking things together. Um, but, you know, United get the job done. They don't really give up much to want to Wolves. They do play uh, with Shaw at the back again, and they are in good shape. Next up, we go to uh, we go to the 10 a.m. the the new the 3 p.m. games. We had a regular full plate. Bournemouth nil. Crystal Palace to Jordan Ayew scores a goal. There's things that you never hear happen. Jordan Ayew and my boy Eze, especially from outside the box, score a goal. Gary O'Neill, since he's become the coach, not getting the wins that he would like. It's not as fun when you lose that interim item. I did pip uh, Bournemouth to go down. Then my beloved Manchester City draw with Everton. Oh, it's so painful. Uh, City looked good. City were playing well. Holland scored the goal. Uh, no, no Foden. It was again uh, Grealish and uh, Mares. Grealish was flitting in and out. This was not a good game for Kevin De Bruyne. But City had a lead, uh, especially in the first half, about 25 minutes. Holland again, another incredible finish. Um, not really a problem. City were cruising most of this game till Damari Gray out of the blue. Just with a thunder blast on the second, the first shot of the game for um, for Everton, and from there, Everton just really fought hard uh, late in the game. Foden, there was a triple change. The three amigos came on. Foden, Alvarez, and Ilkay Gundogan came on, but it was a little bit too late. You felt like maybe Pep could have done this sooner. No one on City really dominated the game. Just another ho hum drop points. Not a lot of urgency in a weird way uh just a game that was frustrating these are the games that city has we can point to the xg we can point to this we can point to that but when you don't win these games the three shots on target to uh everton's one or 16 total shots to everton's two really don't mean a hill of beans and the performance was okay but ultimately that clinical finishing and i do wonder especially after last season are city better without holland and we can talk about that later of course they're be- they're not better but you know what i mean fulham defeat southampton they take a two goal lead southampton get a goal late from james ward prowse how else on a free kick because he's a goddamn legend they also missed a penalty so this game could have been a little bit different. Ward Prowse with the dealt with two goals, an OG and um and scored a goal. I don't recall where the save was. The penalty saved right came Mitrovic missed one on 96. Uh so Bazuno does get a save even though he's a terrible goalkeeper like I said last week. And Fulham roll on. Polina gets his first goal in the Premier League. Proud of him for that. Southampton still in trouble. I wish James Ward-Prowse had left when he had the chance. 
Newcastle at home are held by Leeds. So Leeds does a good job there. Um, uh, Newcastle's six-game winning streak has ended. And now uh, Leeds gets a good point. They're not in a relegation zone. They're sitting in 16th. They've got to feel good there. And then the games, um, we'll talk about Arsenal in a minute, but Arsenal had one. 4-2 4-2 against Brighton. Brighton had a chance to get back into this game. There was an offside call that was a centimeter offside that could have brought the game to 4-3, but Arsenal were dominant in this game. Saka, Odegaard, Enkedia, Martinelli. That's two games in a row that their front have scored, and this time they add in Odegaard. Uh, Matumi and Ferguson get the goals for Brighton and Hove Albion. A good performance by by Brighton. You know, nothing, nothing bad there, but Arsenal rolling on like a machine of destruction. Then, oh, Spurs again for the seventh game in a row give up two goals, this time to Villa. This time there's no comeback. There's no Betancourt. There's no magic. And Spurs lose at home 2-0 to Aston Villa, which is just brutal. Conte does Conte things really poor from him. He's, you know, doing his things that he does where he says the team is terrible and no one's going to win. And then the last game on Sunday was Forrest won, Chelsea won. Raheem Sterling gets the goal early, but second half, this Forrest just come out in full flow and boss Chelsea around. Chelsea have 70% possession, but only take seven shots on target. Nottingham Forest doesn't have the ball, but when they have the ball, they shoot. They put five on target on 12 shots, and they deserve to win this game, frankly. Um, You know, Wolves are getting better. They have the midfield now with Yates, who's their heart and soul guy, Frohler, who's a really good player, and then um, uh, Mangala came in, and they're starting to solidify there. Morgan Gibbs-White is their best player. He plays at the tip of their attack, and then Brendan Johnson had a chance on through, and then Taiwan Iwani on the other side. So my guy Cooper finding his team, finding it, they don't give up much, but when you play Chelsea, you've got to just come and punch them in the mouth because they're weak right now. They don't have an identity. They're in bad shape. I wrote about this on Twitter, t- talking with pundits. I don't want to say XG is everything, Manny, but when you're trying to tell a story of a game and the XG favors Nottingham Forest over Chelsea, that says something to us that says that in a draw... Forrest had the better chances and probably could have won this game on another day. That's all it means. Not that XG is the be-all and end-all, but when we're examining a game and we didn't watch it or don't have it all, we can sort of get a story of the game by looking at the XG. So that's all I'm saying. Yeah, Chelsea are still uh, sputtering, and we can talk about them later. But really, this episode for me, um, I will talk about Liverpool but I want to get to, that was last week's match week. We're coming into this week's match week. One game has already been played. Uh, Liverpool lost to Brentford 3-1, and that is a big deal, but I really want to track into Arsenal. Arsenal are the best team in the Premier League this season. That's not disputable. 16 games, 14 wins. Their underlying XG is there. And thereabouts with City. They're on... um, They are on 17.2 while City is on 21.7. But for a team that has not been behind but for 30 minutes all season, that actually says more about Arsenal because they're close and City have been behind in many games. And so that says to me that Arsenal's quality has been there and they haven't had to attack people much. They haven't had to keep going. They could have much more XG if they were behind and they haven't been behind very often. So they're sitting on 2.69 points per match. City's on 225. To give you a sense of last season, um, City were on 2.45, Liverpool on 2.42 and City got 90, got and City got 93 points last season. So Arsenal are on a pace that is going to take them nearly over 100 points for the season if they sustain this. Now, I don't know if they can sustain it. My argument here 
is really that the narrative for Arsenal is, can they win the league? I don't think that's in doubt. The narrative should be, they're going to win the league. And no one should be surprised by this. They are on 43 points of a possible 16 games. 16 size 3 is 48. They've dropped 5 points all season. Out of a possible 48, they have 43. That's insane. That's a massive number of points. Arsenal fans, don't get giddy. You should start expecting this. This should not be a surprise. This should be a fucking coronation. You should romp to the title right now. And the idea that there's some hurdles that Arsenal have to cross, they've been crossed. It's over. The only reason that we're not talking about Arsenal as champions elect is because of the team that's behind them. That's my team. If it was not Manchester City and we hadn't seen Manchester City chase down Liverpool twice, this would be a coronation. And the only reason that there's not a conversation resembling that is the fact that City are behind them. City have Holland. City are the evil mustachio twirling machine of no personality. And this is when the season ends, this is the Arsenal season, regardless of what happens. If they win the league, it's a triumph. If they blow it, it's a bottle job like Liverpool did in 13-14 and uh, in, in, in 19-20 or 18-19. Sorry, Manny. I just have to bring it up. You got 99 points twice since City caught you both times. Sorry. It just happened. Um, <laughs> it's just something that happened. It's real. Uh, but Arsenal at this point, you know, there's nothing that they should be afraid of. The only thing is they have two games versus Manchester City, and there's no reason the way that they play with Martinelli and Odegaard and this balanced attack between Odegaard, Martinelli, Saka, Jesus, Inketia, Shaka tripping in, that they don't have... They, they actually remind me more of City than City do because they're playing the version of City that we've seen in the past versus this season. And we can sort of talk about that, where it's balanced, it's goals coming from everywhere, it's goals coming from the midfield. This season, City are 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 really just reliant on, on Erling Holland with 21 goals. Everyone else is on two, except for Foden, who has who has seven and isn't playing. I don't understand it. Everything else is really low amounts of goals. So when you when you compare it to the different numbers of players and the teams and all that, it's Arsenal's to lose. And I think that we should start changing the narrative and be like, if Arsenal loses, it's a bottle job. They have choked it away like they did the top four last season. We might as well start now, right? Why not Arsenal? Why are we even considering anyone else and it's the only reason is we just have these narratives that we have to play but this is an all-time arsenal team and if they don't win the league they've blown it and they should start to feel that way and that should be the story not not can they but when will they when will they win the league they've lost to united that's it and that game back in september they dominated that game and had every chance to uh, to actually play well and get the goals they needed in that game. They really haven't played too many other close games. They've sort of skated through some of these Europa League games where they beat Bodo Glimt and, and Eindhoven and Zurich. But when it comes down to it and they start to play some of the Europa League games, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna skip them. Uh, they've got Oxford United. That should be a cakewalk for them in the FA Cup third round. I mean, historically, Oxford has, I believe, it. Oxford Oxford beat Arsenal once somewhere in there. I, I, let me just click on it. Maybe maybe the information's there. Eh, it doesn't matter. But anyway, it's like I said. Arsenal fans, you've won this. Now it's time to, to see it out. 
yeah, it's not the halfway point, but the idea that a team that's only dropped five points all season is then going to bottle it is crazy. It's just not reality. So anyway, uh, but we should go. I do want to go into this match week where we've already had one game, um, and it does involve our friends from Liverpool. Liverpool had been playing well. They had been on a run. Um, they had not lost. They'd won four in a row. Then, and they were getting right back up into that battle for the top four. I think anyone would agree that going to Brentford is a tough game. But Ivan Tony was injured, and Brentford were not going to have him. But this is the Brentford we've seen. This is the Brentford we know. And Liverpool came out flat. And they really didn't create much uh, early in the game. There were some chances for Nunez. And you can guess what? He missed uh, because that's what he does. Blocked off the line by Ben Mee on an open goal, frankly. Uh, there were some early scary moments. Uh, and Buomo just busting a gut past Van Dyke on a run. Um, Van Dyke ended up getting pulled in this game. The left side of the back line ended up getting pulled. So Van Dyke and Tissimakis get pulled off in this game. And the midfield just doesn't do enough against uh, in the first half. Uh, Brighton were better. Brighton did what Brighton does. I know that sounds nothing, but what does that mean? What is it that Brighton does that, that Liverpool don't do, especially at home? Brighton has a way to play. They hoof it. They defend with their whole hearts. They run hard. They put effort. They maximize what they have and how they do it. And they get you on set pieces. I believe in the first half, Brentford had two disallowed goals by VAR, close. Wissa had two, but Wissa did score one. And then Konate put one in. So they had two goals on set pieces. Uh, they had a couple of goals on, on the break that were offside or saved by Allison. And Liverpool didn't really create that much. Ultimately, you know, Nunez had a, had a shot here or there. There were moments. I mean, Liverpool are a great side, and they do score goals. In the second half, they were much better um, and probably might have gotten this game squared away if it had not been for Mbouma's 84th-minute goal where he just shoulder charges. Um, Konate knocks him down and puts it in. But that was a ball, one in the midfield, one in the final third-ish, the top of the final third by Norgard, who's probably the best defense, one of the secretly best defensive midfielders in the Premier League. Here's one for stats there, Manny. He's top three in interceptions and tackles for the midfield. So per, per 90, because he missed some games. He's really that good. And then he releases the ball out over the top. One touch, boom. They're going over the top. That's what they do. Wisa on it. And you can see them fighting for those balls. And Konate just takes one bad touch and Mbomo's on him, and then he's free, and Allison can't bail out uh, Brentford this time. Really good, really good stuff. Uh, Oxford Chamberlain got a goal on a set piece, free header. No one around. Um, and so Liverpool find themselves not back at square one, but they the problems that Liverpool has been ha have been having um, are still there. Um, Van Dijk's not who he was. He got pulled. Uh, when they don't play all of their eleven. Even one link in the chain uh, can break this team down. So in this case, Robertson wasn't there. Without Robertson, uh, without the pace, uh, without Robertson there, they couldn't do anything. Uh, Trent got his, can you believe it? Got his first assist of the season. That's how bad Liverpool have been. Trent Alexander only got his first assist of the season uh, on a cross, on the cross to Oxlade Chamberlain. And you can just see the weakness in the midfield. They just get overrun, and Fabinho can't do what he used to, and Thiago has to do more than he should, and the legs of Harvey elevated. He's not quite experienced enough, even though he's good on the ball. And they're just a half a yard short all the time. And what happens is, is teams get through that first line, and the pressing's not what it was, and Firmino's not there, and Mane's not there. And all these things cascade upon each other, and you start thinking about windows and which teams tried to redo, and did the Naby Keita signing work? No, it didn't. He did come on in the second half, and it was better. But Liverpool just do not control games anymore. They do not control games. They cannot get a hold of a ball 
knock it around, and take the pace out of a game. I know this from watching City, and I know it from watching Arsenal, and I know it from watching Brighton. When those teams have the lead and you let them have the ball, they will slow it down, they'll knock it around, and just take this thing out of the game and slow it down and make it less pacey. But it seemed like Liverpool wanted to play like Brentford. They wanted to get into a fight, and that was a mistake. Because away from home, Liverpool don't get the energy that Anfield gives them. Essentially, you know, they the the GMAX or or Brentford Community Stadium is the fucking Anfield of the South. And you just can't fuck with Brentford at a night game at home. They will beat you. You've got to match them. And Liverpool were not able to match them. Specifically, Virgil van Dijk was not able to match them. He had one of his worst games of the season. Actually, he had one of the worst games of his career. Uh, he got yanked, um, according to who scored, which has an automated system that ranks players out of 10. He got a five rating uh, in his game. So really, really bad. Really, really poor. Uh, and no, he's not the greatest Premier League defenseman ever. He's not even at Vincent Company's level yet. Sorry. Vincent Company won four titles. He won one. And, a, you know, sorry, buddy. So that's this week. Um, that's where Liverpool are, but we can get into the schedule now just to see what's going on. So, uh, for those of the uninitiated first, please like, please link, please subscribe, please share, please help the show grow. We need 500 more people to listen to the show. That's doable in a year. That'd be great. 500 more people. In one episode would be great, but please like and share the show before we go into the remaining schedule and give you a little rundown of where we are. This is the world-famous Premier League festive fixture period. So we had games on Boxing Day. That was the 26th. We had a New Year's schedule. So that was um, that was uh, the last weekend's matches from the 31st into the 2nd. That just uh, – sorry, the New Year's schedule was uh, the 30th through – the first, which is the last week. And now we have another round of games that give us the fourth round of the third round of the FA Cup. So the teams will play from the second through the fifth. So Liverpool just played today. Tomorrow we have a full schedule, Leicester City versus Fulham. These are two teams that I think I'm going to go into a little detail because I tend to go fast on these shows and I want to show a little bit more of, of I know these games. I know these teams really, really well. I know the narratives around every single one of them. I really love the fucking Premier League, and I hope that when you're listening to the show, you know that I do. Um, it's not something – I don't do this show for accolades. I do it because I love it, and I need to talk to someone about it. As an American following the Premier League, you're lonely. <laughs> And so these games really mean a lot, and they give you a lot of joy. Uh, and I really remember rooting for a lot of them. Um, I do want to. I do want to touch a little bit. I'll, I'll touch. We touched on Liverpool, and I'll go into the schedule, and I'll give a little bit of extra for the other teams as we as we work through the schedule coming up. So tomorrow we have Leicester Fulham. Uh, this is Leicester at home at the King Power. They had had a really great run of form, uh, Leicester, but. They lose. They have a bad game versus Newcastle. Um, and then they lose their last game as well against Liverpool. I'm pretty sure Liverpool just beat them. And so they're, they've, they just lost two in a row. This is what happens in a fixture, in a fi festive period. You play really quickly. You've got two games. Yeah, let a Liverpool beat them. And so, um, and that's what we talked about the previous week. And we kind of see where Liverpool was. They had beaten Leicester and moved along and had things going well for them. Actually, I didn't I didn't mention those Friday games. That's why I missed them. Um, <clears throat> Liverpool had beaten Leicester and and Brentford have just coming off beating West Ham. Um, Liverpool were, were in good shape. Um, but they now Leicester plays again. They play Fulham, who are one of the best teams in the league, to be frank, uh, with Mitrovic. Everything is cruising for them, but without without Madsen, I would say that Leicester are just missing 
Madison, excuse me. Without James Madison, Leicester are just missing their main guy, and they need him. Leicester are a really high-scoring team. I wouldn't say that Fulham are the most defensive unit that there is. Um, they do rely on their own goal scorer, but they, they'll, they're they they're liable to ship goals. So Fulham are in a group of defensive teams. All that 5-10 to 10 have given up around 25 goals, except for Chelsea, who have a much better uh, goals against uh, system there. But they're the, you know, Fulham are right there with everyone else, and they're going to try and jump Brentford. And if they win this game, they'll be right on, on, on level with Liverpool. So it's a big game for Fulham. And Leicester, this is two teams that are probably at the same level. I think this is a game to look out for. Um, the Leicester, last Leicester game, uh, Vout Feiss, who I'd been uh, extolling, uh, gave up two own goals that were magical, giving up two goals to Liverpool in magical fashion. Liverpool, again, the luckiest team in the world. But uh, Leicester will will have their work cut out for them to try and get themselves back going. It's really going to depend on Madison. If James, Mad- James Madison is available, then I think I might favor uh, Leicester City here. But uh, Fulham are pretty well-oiled, and I think that they'll have a good shot against Leicester. This is a, a balanced game that I think uh, will promise to be a good one. The other gigantic, massive game, especially for me as a Manchester City fan, is um, Arsenal-Newcastle. These have been the two best stories of the season. Newcastle also only have one loss. Arsenal only have one loss. The difference there is, I believe Newcastle have like seven draws. So they've had a drawing problem. Uh, But they're solid defensively, and this will be another test. I mean, for the great Arsenal to pass. Uh, It is at home. Arsenal's crowd has been fantastic. They've actually set up a whole section now of like their own fandoms. They play horns, they have drums. So the Emirates is actually really loud and becoming a problem for any team. And I just talked about how great Arsenal are. They should expect to win this game. They should be favored. They should be a goal favored easily. Newcastle's good. They're not as good as Arsenal. Um, But this is another test. We'll see how they feel. What do they have in their legs? How are they feeling after having played on Saturday, playing again tomorrow after three days. They shouldn't have a problem with it. I'm just sort of bringing it up. Um, Newcastle also played on Saturday, so no advantage there. But uh, we'll see what happens there. Everton take on Brighton. Everton coming off a huge draw against City. Uh, They're at home. Brighton are the better side. Everton are probably going to feel like, oh, we're playing City again. It's just they're not as good. So uh, Brighton should probably just take the same approach and just sorry, Everton should just take the same approach and see if they can't stifle, put the six, put the set five across the back against Brighton and make Brighton break them down. Uh, I think you know Everton just have to play Demari Gray, hope that Dalmernet Calvert Lewin, who played a half last week, played an hour against City, can get back off the Schneid. Everton are good; they do have good players. They do have good players. I love Gay. I love Onana. I love Tarkovsky and Cody. I love Mikalenko. They've got good, good, good players, Everton. It's just a matter of can Frank get the best out of them? And that's where I'm not sure, and I don't trust him. <laughs> uh, I do know Deserby's good. I know what I'm going to get from Brighton. Uh, they will have McAllister, hero of the World Cup, back in the side. So that should be a boost for Brighton. But Brighton are hit or miss uh, away from home. Could be tricky. I could see Brighton winning this game easily. Uh, but it is a tricky side. I think Brighton have less talent, but they have the better manager and they're a much more grooved team. Also tomorrow, Man United, who I didn't talk about that much, but they do get their win. They play Bournemouth. This is the soft part of their schedule. They're now sitting in fourth. They're coming on right now. Uh, Ten Hag has done a good job. Um, he's come, They're now ahead of Tottenham in fourth. And they want to solidify this, especially now that Newcastle um, Newcastle have Arsenal. They might lose. And if United win, they will now, they will be on 35 and right behind City. So this is a big moment for United where they can make a move, solidify themselves in the top four, and frankly, be where they expect to be. This is Manchester United. This is the biggest club in the world. Uh, up there with Real Madrid and Barcelona. And so they have the money. They have the prestige. Everything about this club 
is this it should be we've forgotten it should be just like real madrid feels at the bernabeu at old trafford united should feel invincible and they're not anymore but i think ten hog definitely has them on the right track i mean i cannot say that they're not on the right track i think their weaknesses at this point are Yes, Marcus Rashford is good. He does have 10 goals. He scored a goal. Yes, they do have Anthony Martial up front. They rightfully sort of rolled black the clock and got back to where they were before they stupidly signed Ronaldo and Ole. Uh, And they have 10 hog. I just keep thinking with United, they wasted a year with this Ronaldo, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thing. They should have gotten 10 hog a long time ago, and they'd really be building at this point. Instead, they have to build during this season, but this team is good. They're well coached. They have a plan. Ten Hag has won his battle with Cristiano. He's now showed that he's the boss of this team. He's showed Marcus Rashford, "Hey, you can't be late." I'll put. There was a hog after the game after after Rashford scored the goal. I think there's a maturity that Ten Hag brings to the team. And a level of professionalism and a disconnect from the past and a new manager putting his own ideas, his own culture onto the team. And I think that the team is responding to him. Uh, as much as I don't like it, this is a good United team. Erickson, Casemiro, uh, Fernandez is formid- formidable. Casemiro is, if not the best holding midfielder, one of the best holding midfielders in the world, along with um, Rodri and Conte, although Conte is probably gone. Uh, Partey now, um, you know, you have players out there. Fabinho was, uh, Declan Rice, lesser, much less so. Um, you know, he's there. It is Casemiro, and he makes a difference. And so United should feel good about where they are. Bournemouth, for them, this game is about survival. Um, they have played well under Gary O'Neill. They have gotten results. They have ridden their luck. For them, for Bournemouth, this has to be about belief. They've got to feel like they can get something from this game rather than let the occasion of Old Trafford get them down, rather than let the occasion of Old Trafford and Man United be like, eh, this isn't a game we should try and get points. I think in the Premier League today, no team should ever feel like they should go into a game without trying to get points. Um, the teams are great. And your your cities and your arsenals and your Liverpools are all-time great teams. But they're not flawless. No one should be intimidated. Everton can go to City and get a draw. Right? So Bournemouth should feel like, let's go punch Man United in the mouth and see what we can do. Because they're 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 they have some good players, uh, Bournemouth. And I and I like I like I like Gary O'Neill. I think he's done a good job. He's a straight shooter. And then we have a relegation battle here. Southampton versus Nottingham Forest. Nottingham getting a huge draw up again at home. This is an away game that Forest can really get their survival uh, on track. If they can beat Southampton, take all three points, Nottingham Forest will really look odds-on to get out of the relegation zone. I really want Steve Cooper to do well. I've called it since the beginning of the season that they signed all these players, and I thought... My God, if he can just get his team in decent shape by the time we get back from the World Cup, we'll see the level of coaching that Cooper can do. He's won a FIFA under 16. He took Forrest from nothing and played well uh, and got them out of the out of their out of their 19 years in the wilderness. He took Swansea before that and had them playing well, and they were almost a promoted team, but he jumped for Nottingham Forest. Steve Cooper is a good coach. A man that ugly and is now a leader, has to be a good coach. There's no way, just your heuristics, what he looks like. He's got to be amazing because he's so ugly that you wouldn't want to be in the same room with him unless he was brilliant. He's really that ugly. Like, please look at Steve Cooper. He might be the ugliest manager in the Premier League. I don't want to fuck him. He's awful. But um, he does do good things. And I think that second half versus... Um, versus Chelsea was a good sign. They were playing too passively, too defensive, too much respect was showed to Chelsea. And then in the second half, they were able to get in there and say, this Chelsea team's not that good. They don't care. 
And from there, once Forrest had the belief and changed what they were doing, then they were able to go kick on and punch people in the face and see what they were up they were about. So that stuff is good. Um, we do have I do I did um <laughs> realize that last week I did not mention the manager of <laughs> of Southampton. It is Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones is now the manager of Southampton. Um, he had done a good job at Luton from 16 to 19, but then he took on the Stoke job and he was terrible. Uh, Couldn't get the team of sort of professionals to listen to him and move forward. But he did go back to Luton and had more success. At Stoke, he was awful, like an abomination. Only won 15% of his games and couldn't get the team to play the way he wanted to. Uh, But as a Luton town manager he did bring them up uh in 17 18 has won manager of the month multiple times and was manager of the season in the efl last season with luton who are having financial problems and he played all young players so logically it makes sense that jones that nathan jones is the manager of southampton the question is 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 he ready for this fight um the champion every level you go up you have to prove yourself every time. We're learning that with Potter, right? It's one thing to be at Brighton. It's another thing to be at Chelsea. It's one thing to be at Luton. It's another thing to be at Southampton in the relegation battle. So we'll see what Nathan Jones is made of. I think we're going to find out that um, Ralph Hassenhudel was a really good fucking manager and that Southampton are going to go down. Uh, that's just where I'm at with them. Uh, I want to see Forrest stay. I think we can say goodbye to Southampton. That's all right with me. I love the fact that Forrest is still in the league. Big, big, fun stuff. Next up, we go to Leeds and West Ham. Two teams that I think are in different direction right now. I think Leeds under Marsh is generally positive. They got a really good draw at Newcastle from a team that had been on form 100%. And Leeds will go to frustrate. They will run. They will harass. And they will take the game to West Ham. Tyler Adams is back. Um, We know about him. We know about Rodrigo. But Leeds should go to West Ham and try and beat them. This West Ham team is fragile. Uh, They have the most quality out of any of these teams in the bottom of the league. But they were flat on Friday against Brentford and got beat really badly um, at home by Brentford. This was not a close game. And I think Moyes is in trouble. Um, David Moyes is a great manager. He's an all-timer. But he simply is unable to adapt his new players quick enough. There's a level of the players that he's brought in that he needs to get them to but he seems to be unable to accept the risk that the players that he's brought in bring. Now, what does that mean? Paqueta, Skamaka, uh, and a couple others are players at a level beyond Moyes' level, to be frank. Uh, This was the issue he had at United. He is very much a bunker defensive Um, better with players who are striving to be of the level that they're playing at versus players who are at the level and need to go higher. So he's great with a bunch of championship players in the Premier League, but not great with a bunch of Champions League players in the Premier League because he's not a Champions League level manager. And ultimately, you have to let creative special players play. And this is the second time this has happened to West Ham. Under Pellegrini, they brought in another level of player, and that didn't work either. They had to bring Moyes back to save them from relegation. Then Moyes stayed, cleared out a bunch of Pellegrini's guys, sort of went back to that lower level. Your Craig Dawson's, your your Mikel Antonio's, your your Sufals, your um 
your Declan Rice to a lesser extent. But now West Ham need to kick on, and he's not getting those goals. Some of it is clinicalness, but West Ham have 11 losses, worse than the division. Only Southampton have 11 losses. So West Ham are losing games. They're on a five-game losing streak on the bounce. That's just not going to do it for West Ham. They need to kick on, and this game against Leeds is massive. And I think that if it is another bad performance, David Moyes could get fired. So I don't think so, but it is possible. I know uh, earlier uh, before the uh, the period started, I, I talked about, hey, uh, the data says that this, this West Ham team is better than they are, but the results are also data right? The wins are data. The losses are data, right? West Ham is just not scoring what you'd expect. And they've given up three more than you'd expect. They are on 13 goals for, but 20 in XG, which means there's seven goals, seven goals in 17 games that they should have scored and didn't. So they're really hurting in terms of, um, Goals they should have scored. And I haven't watched West Ham enough. And maybe uh, Tony Sarasso, please tell me uh, if you listen to the show, which I don't think you do, but that's okay. Do West Ham squander more chances? Are they just, when you're watching their team, are they simply just like, where did this goal, where is this goal that I missed that didn't show up? Um, The culprit off the top of rope is Jared Bowen, who was 10 and 10. Uh, He's down. His XG is four and a half. He only has two. But then throughout the side, throughout the side, there's a bunch that's missing. I'm I was curious about Skamaka. Skamaka's uh, not really on. But if your team is in good shape, if your team is good and has talent, you should have many more goals than your XG. Uh, XG usually lags a little lower, and so good players always outperform their XG. Right, like Harry Kane for his career is probably 50 goals over his XG. Um, Hinman Son way over. So good, pl- and then like someone like Raheem Sterling is right on his XG. So that sort of gives you a sense of when you're on your XG, it means you miss chances, but then get them. And if you're over them, you're clinical. You're like Kane and Son, who are probably the two most clinical finishers in the Premier League, along with uh, I wouldn't say Salah's clinical, but when he's on, he's on. Uh, Holland is clinical. He's on 21 goals on 14 XG. So he's scoring goals that no one should score, but he does anyway. Um, and probably like James Ward Prowse or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is West Ham are in trouble. They have 11 losses. This is a big game for them. Leeds should feel like they're going to get this. And there's no sympathy. When you're Leeds, when you look at West Ham and they are in your schedule, you should think we're fucking beating these because. They're weak. We're at home. We're going to take Ellen Road, and we're going to ram the fucking ball right down your throat. And that's what Leeds should feel like they're doing. Uh, Now we go to the West Midlands. This is a fake derby. I didn't know this, but I learned it today. Uh, Aston Villa and Wolves, although in the same region, have no beef. They don't have a history with each other. Aston Villa's primary rival is Birmingham City, and Wolves' primary rival is West Bromwich Albion. So there are four teams that are semi-big in Birmingham, in the Birmingham area. So Aston, Wolverhampton, both city neighborhoods within the greater Birmingham area. But Villa and Wolves are the two representatives of this area. So we try and make a derby out of them, but there's no derby. (laughs) Uh, Wolves coming off... um, Wolves coming off the loss to United, they should feel like... You know, they're still not scoring, but I thought they played okay in that game. Um, uh, Triori came on, did his Triori thing, but they still don't have a finisher. Um, You know, Raul Jimenez cracking his skull just essentially ruined his career, and they really haven't been able to replace him. Diego Costa's not doing it. Uh, Podence did score a goal, sort of. But Villa, I think, under Emery, I mean, I had been saying this. We, Mike and I, had both loved Aston Villa. They have a very balanced side and now have a good manager who's going to get them moving. They're too good to be this bad. Uh, Ollie Watkins is something else. You know, Leon Bailey and McGinn and Dia and, and 
Diaz and the and Conza and Emmy Martinez will be back. This team's just too good to be this bad. Um, you know, Luca Dean is so good. Then Donker doesn't even play. He, I mean, he's an international for freaking for freaking Belgium. Buendia scored a goal. I mean, this team is good. Why Ashley Young still plays fullback is beyond me. Uh, he must be an all-time great player, but he's still there. And, and still, Philip Coutinho is on the bench. I was thinking of Douglas Luiz, who scored a screamer of a goal, um, you know, in the Spurs game that just went so so bad. Uh, Hugo Lloris just fucking yacked it. Um, I sort of didn't touch on it, but I'll touch on it when we get to Spurs' uh, match uh, this week. <clears throat> but just a brutal, brutal. Uh, win there. I would expect Aston Villa to think that they can win this game. Lopetegui is a good coach. We just have good coaches everywhere. So the funny thing is with this Villa Wolves game, it's Lopetegui versus Unai Emery. Both, it's the Europa League winning Sevilla Derby. Both won the Europa League with Sevilla uh, in the last five years. <laughs> All right. And now we go to Wednesday. This is still Wednesday, the late game. Crystal Palace at home, night game against Spurs. Spurs just sputtering Spurs. Uh, the loss against Aston Villa, really bad. Um, Loris gave up a really shit goal. Miles out uh, and then put in a, front, a shot by, um, by, oh God, what the, I just looked at his name. Uh, <laughs> uh, a shot. In on goal, Larice hits Larice in the chest. He spills it, and then Buendia fires at home. Um, just really poor again from Spurs. They seem unable. Sorry, Douglas Louise <laughs> took the shot and then scored another worldie on 73. Uh, just not able to get out of their own way, not able to move forward, and not ship goals. They just can't defend. Ben Davies is still playing. Longley, uh, he benched Dyer. Um, Hoiberg and Basuma, I'm not sure what they're supposed to do. Um, they're clearly not playing balls into Kane. Kane barely had a touch of the ball. I think at this point, this is on Conte. You're trying to play away with a team that doesn't have the players to play it, and you just continue to complain that you don't have the players. How about you play with the players you have? Show me you're a good coach. Stop complaining about not having wingbacks. Adjust your team so you don't get exposed by not having good wingbacks. Do you know what I mean? Can you only play one way? Is that the problem? I mean, Spurs fans have got to be killing themselves. They're sitting there probably going, Pochettino's out there. Can we just let Pochettino coach the team? Just bring him back. He's already got way more players than he ever wanted. He doesn't have to deal with um, with Deli Ali, who's, I think he's dead now. I don't know where he is. He's like, who's this crazy Perisic guy? He's awesome. Oh, Brian Hill. Yeah. He's awesome too. He's got a cool haircut. Oh, Pierre, you're still here. Well, look at this. He's Basuma guy. He reminds me of Victor Wanyama when I used to win things. Do it. Bring it back. They're already fit enough. You know, you won't need the Pochettino two a days. They'll be so happy to see this team attack and try and play. Um, will they still ship goals? Probably because they still haven't signed a really good center back. Um, and you know, <laughs> you know, Jaffa Tentanga and Sanchez are still on the bench and it's just nothing there. And I don't care, Mike, what you say about Hugo Lloris. He's bad. Uh, he's not on the level. He's not at Ramsdale's level. He's not at, at Allison's level. He's not at Ederson's level. And now, are those the best teams in the league with the best goalkeepers? Yeah. But you want to be with the big boys, you need a big boy goalkeeper. And I don't think Lloris is there anymore. Sure, he's the captain, but he's on year 15, right? How many years? It's now um, 11 seasons at Tottenham from 25 to 35. You know, it's starting to show. It's starting to show. He's he's having his worst goals against season of his career. 0.44 per game. Is that the Spurs defense? He's having his worst shop stopping 
save percentage of his career, except for maybe in the beginning. So he's really slipped. He's not as good as he used to be. Um, Spurs can't keep a clean sheet to save their ass. And we know about his penalty saving. You know, he's just not good anymore, right? His best seasons were a couple years ago. He had a couple amazing seasons, but he's on minus four expected goals against. So he's given up four more than you'd expect. Four more goals is a win or two, right? So, you know, Spurs are sputtering. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's where they are. They don't have anyone as good as Tyrone Mings. They don't have anyone as good as anyone on Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are going to come up against Spurs, and they're going to try and punch Spurs in the mouth because you know what Crystal Palace do? They come to play, and Spurs don't. Spurs come to sit, and um, they come to sit and then wonder what's going to happen. Spurs won their last one at home 3-0, dominated them. Uh, Palace won the one before that, dominated them. That was the early September game at, uh, yeah, that was a really, that was Jeff at Tanganga got sent off, I'm pretty sure, uh, and Spurs lost 3-0. But then Spurs had beat them pretty good uh, at the hot. So this has been a home and away thing. If, If it goes to form, you'd expect Crystal Palace to win at home. Um, Spurs, Crystal Palace had two draws, two one-one draws at home, but that's going back into 2020. Uh, and then the games at Spurs have been wins for Spurs. So this game has been going based on who's at home. Otherwise, you would expect I would ex- I would expect Crystal Palace to beat Spurs in the in the form Spurs are in right now. Uh, Spurs should hope that they can get a draw because. If they give up another two goals, they're going to lose to Palace. And that's a fact. Okay. That was a lot that went on. I probably missed seven teams. Um, Let me see. I think there's a couple more games sitting on the docket here that I can cover. Oh, there's one more. My team. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my team. Chelsea versus Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. We'll wrap it up there and then end the show. Chelsea are a shambles right now. Um, I don't see how City would lose this game. Maybe being away from home uh, will help. City have been just really, really good uh, of late. But I do have concerns about the reliance on Holland. When City, those two seasons that we won the league, the last two seasons, without Aguero and not really having a focal point, it would get frustrating when we'd get stuck and bogged down. But at least you knew that the team as a unit was trying to score goals. Um, They would come from anywhere. It could be Sterling. It could be Foden. It could be De Bruyne. It could be Gundogan. It could be Cancelo. Anybody. Now I think teams know that it's going to be from Holland. And unless a player is playing who has the guts to shoot, all the passes go to Holland. And so one of the things I like about when Foden plays, he hasn't played the last two games, is that he shoots. Even though it pisses off Pep, it pisses off Holland, um, De Bruyne hasn't been shooting as much as you'd like. I think City need to get back to acknowledging that there is this new presence there, but not getting rid of their whole game for the sake of Holland. He's he's taking on a kind of, not that he's like Cristiano, but a kind of deference to Holland that is to the detriment of the team, I think. In the small moments, like, yes, he has 21 goals, 22 goals. He's been incredible. Kevin De Bruyne is on 15 assists. All of it is right, but there are moments for City when it bogs down that they've got to get out of common patterns and start to freelance and get into different patterns uh, of play. Um, I don't think the defense have been bad. Uh, Kanji, Stones. Stones has been great of late, I have to say. Uh, But Chelsea, on the other hand, can't score. Uh, The defense has been good, and they defend by keeping the ball. So I expect that your Jorginho's and stuff will will keep on the ball. But what we're not seeing from Chelsea, and I think something that is 
not talked about is this team, Chelsea had a culture. And whether we like it or not, that culture came from Abramovich, was transmitted through Marina Granovskaya, and I think was founded by Mourinho. And it was a winning culture. And if things don't work, you fucking get rid of it. And that might mean the players say, I don't like this coach. He's not where we want him to be. And in which case, they would change the coach. Or the coach would say, I don't like this. We're going to win. We're going to do it my way. So very strong personalities within this, the club. And some of it was really bad. They had a really bad, um, uh, the marketing side. That was, it was a, un, it was an unpleasant work environment. Yeah, it was a fucking Russian one. Okay, they don't care about your feelings. Okay, and so that was the culture at Chelsea. And it showed on the pitch. If things were going well, they would beat you. And if they weren't, it was turmoil. And the coach was going to get fired. But now they have nothing. Uh, we don't know what Burley's like. We don't know what the new director of football is like. Uh, we know Potter is a very measured. He's Graham from Solihull. Um, you know, a guy who was a university football coach and very academic. He did cool stuff at Ostersunds. He did cool stuff at Brighton. I love him. I don't want tomorrow. I don't want Thursday to be the day that he gets his team to play for him. But there are levels here. And going from Brighton to Chelsea is different, especially as it's a Chelsea team that is listless. Um, they didn't play for Tuchel. They are not playing for Potter. There is a rot. There is a missing. There is a weakness, a flaccidity, uh, a fragility. They kind of, if I want to go into another level, they are taking on the personality of Havertz and Pulisic and, and Ziyech, these kind of paper thin, they almost play the way Jorginho moves. It's, they, 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 they almost have the ethos of these slight players. It, it's not physical. It's not, it's not, it's not smash mouth, right? You want your team to take on the personality of the best player, but who is the best player at Chelsea now? Whose personality should it take on? And I think right now Chelsea has taken on the personality of, of Havertz, of Werner, of, of, of Jorginho, of Kovacic, well, Kovacic less so, of, of, of Pulisic, these sort of shifty kind of meek, you know, ball players, but, but they're just there. They're quiet. They're unassuming. They, they don't kick you. Um, and while I guess you'd really want the team to probably take on the personality of Silva, Thiago Silva, and Aspelicueta, those guys are old. Your team can't, Assume the player of the old player, um, especially if they weren't if they weren't there. Uh, Dave is Espelicueta is is weak and gets run past, and he doesn't do the things he needs to do. And Kulabali is not quite there, and this doesn't seem to be something to hang their hat onto. Uh, and you juxtapose that with City, where City's personality is Pep's personality. The team is run through Pep. Pep reflects. Pep is reflected on the field. Everyone plays like Pep. Uh, it's very much a exacting, robotic, clearly structured team that does what Pep wants it to do. And I think Chelsea's missing that. Um, and City could win this game 3-0, no problem. But, you know, I, I tend to be concerned, and that's just how I am. Okay, please like, rate, review, and share the show. I love it. I've gotten up to an hour. This is one of the best solo episodes I've done. I feel really good about it. Uh, and I, hopefully I can convince Mike to get back on the show when he's feeling good and back uh, from all his family days and licking his wounds over Spurs and licking his wounds over Michigan and licking his wounds over everything he can lick his wounds over. Uh, I do want to say uh, this today is um, we're watching the same day as as a Buffalo Bills player. Um, was injured and stretched off the field. Uh, we do want to give our hope and prayer for Bill, for uh, Damar Hamlin, who collapsed on the field, something very similar to Erickson. Um, we don't know at this point of the show, it's Monday night, uh, what happened with him, but um, we hope that he is okay and we don't have to 
deal with the fallout of a player dying on the field. It could happen, and I hope that it doesn't. I don't like to say thoughts and prayers because it makes me think of a gun shooting, but um, my thoughts are with his family, and we hope that, you know, for the sake of sport, nothing terrible like that happens. Okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. It makes a huge difference, and we need all your help.